0: Hello and welcome to a special episode of Ben and Bran's See a Movie. This, when this episode comes out, it will be May 4th. May the 4th be with you. And so we decided to do a special episode on Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. With me, as always, is Branson.
1: Hello, I've been humming uh, the Star Wars theme song Yes, for, and the, we're past, gonna get- <laughs> for the past minute, I hope. Hey-
0: and we're going to get copyrighted for that, so that's going to be an issue, so this podcast will never get out. I hope that's not a out. thing
1: on Spotify.
0: It probably is, but it doesn't matter. And with me is my co-host for, now there are two of them, Josh Whitney.
2: Yes. We have Josh. Hello.
0: Hello, Josh. Hello. You are here because, obviously, you're my Star Wars co-host on a show that has... Uh, Been out for a few months and has less episodes than a Sherlock season on the BBC. Yes, yes. (laughs) It takes a while.
2: It takes a while to deliver some quality content. Yeah, so
0: we only deliver uh, once every other month. Yep, so you might know me from things such as
2: a limited social media presence and um, one (laughs) episode of another podcast.
0: (laughs) Regardless, we are bringing back that show. Uh, with the Bad Batch in theory. So oh, that'll be nice. Yeah, it won't be, but I'm not excited for it. But I'll watch it. I'm excited it'll,
1: for it. It'll be as long between episode one of Now There Are Two of Them and episode two as it was between episode six and
2: episode one of Star Wars.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's what our timeline's looking at right now.
2: Yeah, well, I'm okay with that. we got to keep up with the continuity.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, he is here with me because there is no bigger fan of the prequels than this man uh sitting to my left Mm -hmm. and when we're talking about phantom menace you know you need someone who can defend this movie and let me tell you if anyone can defend this movie it's josh right here
1: yeah i I have a feeling that we're going to provide the three of us are going to provide a very nice gradient i'm gonna say that josh is like um I'm like the middle of the spectrum. I'm the enlightened (laughs) centrist that's going to kind of run this debate and then I'm going to let you two kids just kind of battle it out between you know whether this movie's good or bad yeah have we even announced what episode
2: we're doing yeah i said it at the beginning
0: by the the way
2: brinson i would like to say i am a big fan of the background you've chosen for this episode yes you know we're audio only what's that we're we're, audio only (laughs) oh i didn't know that (laughs) yeah for audio for our audio listeners
1: uh spoiler alert you're all audio listeners i have chosen to uh have boss Nass. That's as my nice. background on zoom uh so yeah i have uh i have boss Nass looming over and maybe if i'm feeling brave enough you guys will hear my boss Nass impression
2: now i think if i'm correct boss Nass is the second thickest boy in the <laughs> star wars universe <laughs> but only behind jabba the hud of course but yes i'm absolutely. pretty sure he's got to be second place in that in that yeah, list. Yeah, I
1: think so. And then, I are we counting Clone Wars? What about Clone Boba Wars?
0: Fett in Mandalorian? <laughs> <laughs> Boba
2: <laughs> Fett in Mandalorian does get a little thing.
1: You're, However, you're forgetting my boy Zero from the Clone
2: Wars. Oh, that's Zero's true. Good. Zero the Hutt is... But I still feel like he was a little I can't slimmer. believe you forgot about your old pal Zero. That's actually like a perfect impression. <laughs> that came out of nowhere. and <laughs> That was like perfect. I didn't even know I could do it until I did it. That was... I, I think you might need to make that a full-time gig.
0: <laughs> this episode's already off the rails. And yeah, as it's going to stay the rest of this episode... I'm excited. This is essentially going to be the hill to die on and the great debate for the whole episode. If we have any nuanced talk about this movie, it would kind of be a miracle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, before we even just kick off to a... Branson, Josh, I'm going to just start with the film historian, and then we're just yes. going to go at it. So can can you give me a little
2: background on what that is? So the, film, is the historian film
0: historian is essentially where we break down the context of this film, uh, the pre-production when it comes out, mm-hmm. the response when it comes out, the legacy of it. So okay. we do just a brief thing about that to kind of start the conversation. Okay. So I will do that real quick. So George Lucas starts coming up with this idea in 1994 to go – uh, sorry I should say he starts putting pen to paper to do the prequel series for Star Wars in 1994 he was waiting to for the digital effects to be there to match his vision and then after he sees films like Terminator 2 with James Cameron and Jurassic Park with Steven Spielberg he realizes that the special effects are finally there for him to start working on these movies and have the vision that he's always wanted to have it so mm-hmm. that's where he starts writing The film, audiences really start getting an idea of this film in 1998, the title comes out and it is revealed to be the Phantom Menace when a lot of people thought it was gonna be either something along the titles of the Clone Wars, uh, Legacy of the Jedi or something like that, just these titles. So Phantom Menace comes out, everyone's like, what's that mean? What's the Phantom Menace? People start connecting that, that probably means Palpatine's gonna be in there. So this Mm -hmm. starts coming out in 1998 And the first trailer for this movie is released in the movie theaters. I believe it's 75 theaters across the U.S. and like five theaters in Canada.
1: Are you serious? Only 75 theaters?
0: Yes, it had a limited run. And how they did it was they played it in front of the Brad Pitt movie Meet Joe Black. And (laughs) there's a great story that 500 people showed up to see the film Meet Joe Black to watch the two and a half minute trailer and then left right after this trailer played so 300 oh, out of 500 hilarious. people walked out right after that trailer was played that's hilarious and which is amazing because if you haven't seen meet Joe black it actually is a pretty hysterical movie it's not a comedy but it's just there's a few amazing scenes in it where that's the one were where uh,
1: he's like crossing the street and then yeah, he just Brad, gets like the, double slammed by a, a he gets car, hit by right? a car
0: like yeah. five times in a row and is just flying in the air Jeez. But my so, sister's
1: yes. boyfriend like loses his mind uh whenever he sees that scene yeah it's hilarious it but so big.
0: everyone missed out on that so 500 people see it 300 leave right after the trailer and then the trailer comes out in i want to say march of 1999 about two to three months the full full trailer i should say i should say the final trailer i guess Uh, It is downloaded 6.9 million times in 1999. And remember, there's no YouTube at this time. So everyone's just uh, either illegally downloading it. It had just broken records that had never been heard of. This movie has so much hype coming towards it. Mm -hmm. And on the day that it comes out in May 19th, 1999, 2.2 million people are reported or estimated to have taken sick days off to go see (laughs) this movie. And it cost the U.S. economy $293 million, which in today is about $465 million in one day, is what the U.S. economy lost. Oh my gosh, what a legacy. That's awesome. So released May 19, 1999. It is the most successful film of 1999, of course. And it's the second highest grossing film worldwide uh, behind Titanic at this point. Mm -hmm. And... It obviously comes out to mixed reception, but largely still positive when it's originally comes out. It does have the positive reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Most of the critics are still calling it generally positive. It gets nominated for some Academy Awards, largely for special effects, sound design, all mm-hmm. the technical categories, as you would assume a Star Wars movie would. Yeah. And, of course, it kicks off the prequels, and it really starts not only this fan-driven frenzy... For the star wars universe it kind of starts what we see today with the huge divide in star wars but in fandom uh this battle between fans and critics all this kind of originates here and this is really the first big film that had had this type of attention to it it is really the biggest film that has probably ever come out in theaters with the hype behind it and that's where we are and 20 what is it 22 years later we're still debating this movie and yep. that's kind of just the context of where this movie is. Yeah.
1: Last year it became old enough to uh, drink. drink. <laughs>
0: yeah. Which, if it sees itself, then it should drink. Jeez. <laughs> wow.
1: Dang. All right. Well, that sounds like uh, Ben's hill to die on. So as, as the self-proclaimed mediator, someone who sees the good and the bad, the light side and the dark side, as it were... Um, I'm the uh, I'm the Don Lemon to the uh, presidential debate going yeah. on here, so I'm not going to ascribe who is who in what presidential debate. So, uh, Josh, how about you give your um, your hill to die on first for this movie?
2: Well, I think it's pretty self-evident at this point that my hill to die on is that I believe that the uh, the Phantom Menace is probably in one of the Better star wars movies on the list i would even go as far to say it's in my top four
0: top four yeah that's ridiculous
2: <laughs> <laughs> i feel like that's very reasonable though there are some good movies out there i mean there's like the absolutely unmistakably good movies such as empire strikes back agreed and mm-hmm. then you have
1: return return
2: of the jedi which i also yes. really enjoy Yes. And then the one that's a little less controversial but still is sort of controversial in the top three would be Revenge of the Sith, favorite. which mm-hmm. is becoming sure. becoming more and more I Accepted. think in people's favorite movies. Like as as yes. that generation that grew up with the prequels is getting older and more vocal about Star Wars, I think that you're seeing that movie appear more and more in people's like top lists and even for some, Revenge including of the myself Sith it's is my favorite. Is good.
1: There are some awesome like um there are some awesome parallels in that story and Mm -hmm. just like some of the delivery as corny as some of the lines are Mm -hmm. the delivery of them is really awesome. And then like the whole scene at the end of the movie on Mustafar is, is brilliant.
2: Yeah. And so what's interesting is um, when, Ben was talking about a bit of the history of the movie and uh, George Lucas sitting down in 94 to actually sit and write Phantom Menace. One of the interesting things when you go and watch the making of Phantom Menace is that when he sits down and begins to uh, write out the... flesh out the story, if you will, for uh, Phantom Menace, he's actually fleshing out all three of the prequel movies in that sitting. Yeah. Or however long that took him, a couple months, right? And so he... uh, so he had a complete idea full package of how he wanted this story to play out from beginning to end of the trilogy Mm -hmm. and i find that a key point of of today's topic because it shows that i think an argument that people make a lot of times is that you know when you're watching star wars for the first time or even repeating watchings phantom menace is not necessarily a movie that needs to be included in the list because it you know, you you're just seeing a younger Anakin, and right. the story can pretty much start from Attack of the Clones, and you you wouldn't miss a whole lot. However, I think it's important to show that it was always part of George Lucas's vision. What is your smug face you're showing there? <laughs> <laughs> <I> <laughs> ben is giving wait. me a smug face. But I can't wait. Anyway, uh, I think it's important to show that this is always part of George Lucas's vision, at least for the prequels, to say, okay, this is how I want one two and three to go and this is how i want it to kick off so when i'm watching this movie i enjoy 95 percent of this movie
0: that's a ridiculous number the five the percent
2: <laughs> we can discuss the five percent later
0: yeah but
1: i let's i <laughs> i okay. that's a very good stage to set Okay, Jogo. let me let me ben. get in here, Branson. All right, so, Ben. So let me first <laughs> start go.
0: off with I actually agree that there are elements in the Phantom Menace that you can't just skip over, just due to their importance in the story. And we're going to get into them but there are elements that I think the story does set up well, specifically with Anakin and why eventually in the prequel series he turns to the dark side. Some of the stuff with his mother, some of the conflict that we see, uh, with him having to one leave her and then not being trusted by the Jedi Order, the death of Qui-Gon, all those effects. I do actually agree with that on that. I'm going to go with my hill to die on. Mm. And I'm going to say, if you were to remove large portions of the script, uh, change the story dramatically, remove most of the characters, but specifically uh, Jar Jar, the Gungans, uh, really most of the people on Naboo, change some of Padme's dialogue, change some of Anakin's dialogue, uh, edit out about 25 minutes of the movie, it's still a bad movie, but it's <laughs> slightly better.
2: <laughs> I feel like you need to elaborate a little bit more on those parts that
0: you don't like. Because all those things you listed, I really enjoyed. <laughs> so, okay, so this oh kind goodness. of sets us up perfectly yeah. to just start getting into the movie. Branson, Wait, hold you on. Have, I need, yeah, I know. Yeah. You have your hill to die on. So <laughs> I, jump I, for think, I think the
1: marriage of the two... Um, viewpoints there is that um, my hill is that people hate on Phantom Menace too much. It's not even the worst movie in the prequels which is Attack of the Clones. I I
2: agree with that as well.
1: Attack of the Clones used to be my favorite because I love the part where um, Yoda's jumping around and doing a whole bunch of stuff against Count Dooku and the clones are always really interesting and I love the introduction of them on Geonosis but then I, and Padme's more... in
0: that tight shirt. Yeah. That. <laughs> when we're,
1: when
0: we're in nice. 10, when we're 10, you know, yeah. it does speak to us a little bit. Yeah.
1: Um, but then, you know, I, the older I got, the more I was like, nah. And then the Clone Wars just kind of filled the clone void. And Yoda's battle in the third episode is way better. So, yeah, it's not even the worst. It's not even the worst prequel. Um, so, yeah, that's my hill to die on. Let's get into it, boys.
0: Okay, and we always start because the easiest way to start a discussion on a movie is just to talk about the opening sequence in this film. Okay, yes. and the opening sequence is, involves uh, it's Obi Wan and Qui Gon Jinn arrive mm-hmm. uh, on is it they're on Naboo at this point, correct?
2: Yes. So well, no, they don't actually. It's not actually on Naboo. They're it's they are on. Naboo. Yeah, they're on. They're landing on the Trade Federation ship which is, I believe, orbiting Naboo at the point. Although that's not necessarily clear, but I I do believe that's where it is. I think
0: that's what the crawl says. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, it's because they they have to, like, stow away on one of the droid tanks. Mm -hmm. Um, What are they called? MTT. MTT, thank you. Um, They have to stow away on one of the MTTs, uh, and that's how they get on Naboo. Yeah. At least that's what I remember from the uh, LEGO Star Wars game.
2: So yes, they begin. They go onto the Trade Federation ship because they are trying to negotiate with the um, the Trade Trade Federation uh, representatives who are on the ship for uh, peace, basically. Something, something to that nature.
0: And there's some sort of blockade going on. We know that there's some sort of conflict with Newt Gunray, uh, the the Trade Federation, the Senate in Coruscant. Coruscant, Mm -hmm. There's and the Jedi are there basically as negotiators, they're yeah. not there as soldiers, as George Lucas clearly describes. They are negotiators, they're the Chancellor's ambassadors. Yes, yes, so they're there. And I'm actually going to give some love to the movie right to start off. I actually think this is about a great 15 minute opening sequence. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is where Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan have this discussion where they're talking about, let me find it in my notes, being mindful of the future versus the now. Mm-hmm. And there's this back and forth that they have. And it's a really philosophical discussion. And one that I think gives insight into the how the Jedis think and how they train. And mm-hmm. it's a perfect setup between these two characters. We see Obi-Wan is headstrong, which is a characteristic that he has throughout the whole series. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we see Qui-Gon is a little bit more, reserved, uh, reserved, but he also has some things that maybe go against, not go against, but are not fully aligned with the Jedi. He Mm. definitely has some wisdom that he brings in his own experience into it. Mm. And so I do actually love this opening scene.
1: Mm -hmm. It's, it's very mysterious because you're kind of wondering if, especially if you've, if this is your first star Wars viewing experience. Um, you're kind of wondering, it's like, okay, who are these guys? Why are they in cloaks? Why are they hidden? And then, you know, when their Republic cruiser is just, like, destroyed by a laser fire, suddenly it's, like, this big surprise. It's like, whoa, where did that come from? Why, why are they being attacked now? And then all the droids suddenly show up, and um, we we get to see, like, oh, they're not just, like they're not monks
2: they have laser swords too mm-hmm. yeah and the other thing that's really interesting about this too is it's like you know obi-wan in this scene is kind of the first time you're seeing this side of obi-wan right he's super young he's much different than the way that alex is portraying the character yeah and so mm-hmm. you're kind of seeing at this point like where where is this character going to go how 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 is he different how does he before evolve? Yeah, yeah like before he's kind of surmassed like what's the word i'm looking for like gather all this wisdom and stuff and Mm -hmm. and who is this person qui-gon jinn who is a new character that we are completely unfamiliar with and and like you guys have both already said i think in that first 15 minute scene you learn so much about both of those characters in their here and now that um they're able to kind of deliver on kind of some key character points very early on
0: and we're also introduced to one aspect of the film that is by far the best aspect of the film and that's John Williams' music. And Absolutely. that score just Beautiful. starts off amazing and of course I'm nostalgic for the store for, sorry for the score from the Lego Star Wars games as we all are. <laughs> I mean that first opening act for the Lego Star Wars game has that uh music used mm-hmm. in that level. It's a great mm-hmm. score and it's one that John Williams uh just continues to just master in the prequel series i think Mm. you could easily argue that the prequel series is his best work Mm -hmm. in the star wars universe one Mm -hmm. two and three uh but yes phantom menace just knocks it off right on the park and it does set you into this star wars mood and it is interesting you have this fast-paced action the special effects are great it is great to just see the lightsaber for the first time really just used to mow down armies yeah Mm
1: -hmm. yeah exactly you that's yeah, I guess that's a good point. That's the first time that you see it being used en masse to just, like, kick some tail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Ben, you, this is usually your thing mm-hmm. to say that we've gone too far without talking about X, but I we have to talk about Newt Gunray and the rest yeah, of yeah, yeah. the uh, Trade Federation because uh, they're racial stereotypes, at least so to some this degree. this is interesting. Go ahead, though. Go ahead. Um, I, it's been pointed out, a few times i don't want to say what the racial stereotype is i think it's um some i i want to say it's like an asian culture that it's stereotyping but
2: josh you may know more about this i know what you're talking about Mm -hmm. i was thinking about this so okay this is actually really interesting you brought this up because i i also wanted to bring this up um when I was in my car ride coming from the same the Bay Area to Sacramento, I was, I was cracking up when you said <laughs> this too. I watched the whole movie in the car to the most part. I mean, it's only an hour and a half ride. so. But anyway, so I was watching as much as I could and I was just listening to the way they mix the sound, kind of listening to the different dialogue that was being delivered and then, of course, John Williams' music and how all that came together. And it's actually really interesting to just do it like that because you kind an of auditory, hear it from... Auditory, steady. Yeah. yeah, so you kind of... It hones your senses a little more on some of the other parts that aren't visual, which sometimes I think is a bit distracting, especially in Star Wars. But it got me thinking about these bits of dialogue um, that I think are being construed as racial stereotypes for Watto, for um, the different Trade Federation individuals. And I think that maybe this is another hill that I die on, that these are actually not racial stereotypes for a variety of reasons.
0: Ah. I, so I'm kind of on the same boat with Josh is but I will say that I understand why you why some of these characters mm-hmm. sound like racial stereotypes I think it is completely unintentional yeah, yeah. What I, I that's what that.
1: that's what I would argue I I didn't think that they I didn't really think that they were like I can see where it is and it's like I'm kind of wary of it but yeah he, I, Here's... is I'll jump in aliens. real
0: quick because I think this actually moves to our next point really well wait i still oh, want to touch here on that, go though. for it and so then I'll jump in.
2: so the reason why i i just to elaborate on why i want to defend why i don't think these are racial stereotypes is for a variety of reasons but the first thing that i think is a reason why they are not necessarily racial stereotypes is because the character development i should i should specify like the costumes and the 3d modeling and all of those sort of preliminary ideas of how these characters are going to look mm-hmm. are taking place way before the voice actors are coming in to actually like have the role and like voice these characters and yeah. bring them to life. Right. So, especially with Watto, when I look at Watto and uh, if, hey. if I'm a if I'm a voice actor and I see the character of Watto, I am not surprised that one of those voice actors is going to go, okay, he kind of has a voice like this, and, uh, you know? I don't think yeah. that that is necessarily a Jewish stereotype or whatever. Yeah. It sounds just more, it sounds more grimy. And like, yeah. he's,
1: he's on Tatooine, it's this mm-hmm. dirt pit, he's yeah. kind of a pit
2: boss. And so. then the the other point that I'd like to make also is, I think, Ugh. with voice actors especially... You have a limit in your creativity for how you can make a voice sound different. And especially when you're dealing with the Star Wars universe where you're dealing with so many different species of characters and types of characters, it's hard to a lot of times create voices that are distinct from something that we can already pull from and say that that sounds like a familiar voice that I've heard in real life and then draw those comparisons to something that might be a stereotype. Right. so
0: and i'm gonna jump in because i think it's a good transition point is my point for this whole debate is i think the reason it comes off so over the top because that's essentially what the controversy is is it's that it's over the top yeah it's not subtle i guess is are any of those characters mm. and i think this is actually a more of a ding on the filmmaker's decision to make these characters so over the top and that's kind of where i transition into really the elephant in the room that we haven't talked about and that's jar jar binks okay (laughs) he comes in about the 16 minute mark of this movie after the first 15 minutes oh that's why you
1: said that you like the fifth the first 15 minutes of the movie so
0: i literally wrote down my notes a great opening until jar jar It took me a while to remember why I didn't like this movie. But the exact second Jar Jar comes in, it just destroys the pace. It throws off the tone of the film. The story just starts falling apart. Everything just starts losing, I guess, traction to me. And the reason I'm bringing this back to the new Gunray thing is I think the character of Jar Jar is inherently over-the-top and goofy and annoying, and that's supposed to be the point. And I feel like a lot of those animated characters, or CGI characters, I should say, they all have that quality to them. Now, true, none of them are quite... I'm not going to say none of them. Most of them are not quite as annoying as Jar Jar in those scenes. But I think that that over-the-top quality is what people can sometimes i'm not going to say confused because you are entitled to your own opinion but i think that's where some of the debate on the voice acting in stereotypes comes from is this mm-hmm. over the top have they just toned it all down i don't think this is as big of an issue as it has become
1: yeah i agree and you know like with clone wars um the the show which is brilliant and i love the clone wars um in the episodes where Jar Jar is there, they it's not so much on the voice, it's just a focus on Jar Jar being a complete idiot and like mm-hmm. doing stupid things and somehow it works out. Um so, you know, I I guess that's just like how how they kind of like shift Jar Jar's usage. It's more he's more for like um he's more of a hero a little bit and then he's more of a comic relief in like a different way
0: mm-hmm. so josh i'm just gonna ask you the question point Blake, how can a star wars maybe be in your top four that has a character as jar jar binks is one of the main protagonists?
2: okay because you're not gonna <laughs> like this answer but because i actually don't think in the context of the story that jar jar is a bad character
1: wow oh my goodness so this is hard-hitting your, journalism guys
0: <laughs> this is uh defend your argument kay. because i so, can break down ha- in every scene how jar jar is a detriment to the movie okay oh my so, goodness
2: so let's talk about let's we can't start, make this a, let's an, start with like the, a two-hour with, podcast
0: we got to start with the plot overall
2: right yeah. so one of the main parts of the plot is that at the towards the end of the movie and forgive me for kind of skipping a, a yeah, bit we're just going to jump around just point. just for the sake of the argument. Towards the end of the movie, we find out that Naboo, that we'll just call it, quote-unquote, the more civilized side of Naboo, because there's not really another word for it. The humans, the people that aren't Gungans, they're not able to uh, overthrow the... <laughs> Look at your face.
0: I'm so not Let go.
2: <laughs> You're not able to overthrow the um, Trade Federation and successfully rise up against the invasion by themselves because they don't have the resources. They can't. They have to basically work within their means. Oh. And we know that they have to work with these these Gungans that they originally kind of looked at as being um, uncivilized and primitive, and previously didn't work together. And we know that they have to work together in order to kind of overcome this obstacle, right? Now, at the end of the day, it does end up just kind of being Anakin that blows the whole thing up and takes takes all the credit, basically. Which for- we'll get into in a second. That's well, true. listen. But anyway, so, so that's kind of the point of this. So walking that back to an individual level, you're introduced very early on to this character that... Everybody can agree is just this bumbling idiot that gets in the way that's a constant problem throughout the plot in different ways, right?
0: A hundred percent (laughs) agree.
2: Besides the comedic element of it, which I agree, and this is in my five percent, is the comedic elements don't land. That's the problem for me. Yeah. A a lot of them don't. I think if more of those landed, they people would have less of a problem with Jar Jar. The problem is that those comedic points don't really hit any particular audience very well it's not really things that kids are finding that funny and it's definitely not something that adults are finding funny so he just falls into this awkward gray zone where everybody can kind of agree that those comedic points don't really land so that part i think we can all agree on but what i think is that jar jar serves as sort of an important character to the plot because he's kind of going along with them this entire time and it's not until the end that they realize that they have to work together with people that they originally didn't pay any attention to to actually come together and make things happen um for the greater good at the end of it so right. you've
1: described and, and also oh, okay, the purpose that it. also the purpose that jar jar serves is to get mini kits that you can't normally get with other characters because he he's a empire. high jumper yeah he's mm-hmm. a high jumper
0: mm-hmm. so that's another get... lego
1: star wars <laughs> game reference
0: let's let's get into this real quick so i will we're not even gonna worry about time. Okay, I wasn't We're sure. probably gonna go fairly long on this one, Branson He just f- flashed up a 10-minute sign and there's no way cuz we're not even close. We're okay. gonna hit long today Sorry, <laughs> tell your wife. I apologize, but let's just get into this. So I agree with ben, you. Ben on... is like He's getting ready. He's got the I agree 20 palms on every part on the fact that the gungans are an actual important part of the story mm-hmm. what they serve uh, within the larger part of the story what he did not answer is how jar jar mm-hmm. is able to enhance the story mm-hmm. and the only purpose jar jar serves in this movie mm-hmm. is to get the characters from point a to point b if you take out every moment of dialogue that he has in the movies there is nothing that he adds to the actual overall story all the jokes that you're talking about, that's every scene he has. There is nothing that he has that lands or, as you could say, is a particularly good scene. This is I, best encompassed... I think
1: literally the only thing that Jar Jar does is lead Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan to the Gungan City, which is yes. cool. I, mm-hmm. Visually, Gungan City is awesome.
0: This is best encompassed in the last scene, in the last fight where they are doing the whole battle on Naboo. You have the uh, shield mm. over, and there is literally like a two-minute scene that for no reason is mm. in there. Jar Jar's fumbling with like a bunch of like, is it bombs?
2: Y- yeah, basically, yeah. Bombs. And he's just, yeah,
0: he's just, they're going everywhere, and it's supposed to be this high-sequence battle. And mm. remember, at the same time, you have Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan there in the... Uh, uh, in the palace. Yeah, they're in the palace Indeed. with... Uh, Padme and all of them they're trying to get through Darth Maul comes in Anakin's hiding all this so this is the big dramatic moment Mm -hmm. and the only comedy in it is this Jar Jar these Jar Jar beats in it and you could say oh other films have comedy in it yes other films do have comedy Mm -hmm. in it in this purpose Jar Jar adds nothing to the actual action Mm. going on this is it's not like a comedic beat within an action movie like let's say the I am Groot line from Avengers Infinity War, mm. where they're fighting, and then he says, I am Groot, I am Steve Rogers. That is a comedic moment that at least is going on in the story and mm. the fighting. Jar Jar Binks, at every time, all he does is slow down the story. Okay, so I actually <laughs> disagree with that point.
2: So, <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I would say that Jar Jar's most important b- moment in the entire movie is he sort of serves as the liaison between the Gungans and the... He's like the, the center point between the civilized part of the Naboo and the Gungans. And, and we see the them result together. of
1: that later on in the Clone Wars and Attack of the Clones where he is a representative mm-hmm. for the Senate.
2: Yeah. Which and I'm I think... sure,
1: Ben, you are
2: a huge fan of. Yeah, yeah. They, I think they actually do a better job with his development in like episodes two and three where he does not have... Not on screen. No, that's true. Not on screen. And, and I think it, my full 5% of not liking this movie is A, the comedic timing or the comedic moments don't land for Jar Jar. And then the second thing that I don't like is, and it's still Jar Jar related, is that there's no development of the character in the movie itself. One of the things, one of the scenes that irks me the most about uh, Phantom Menace is that he has this moment where it looks like the droids are taking over and they're about to, like, they're about to shoot him and then Jar Jar just like gives up before anybody else. He goes, I give up. I give up. I just hate that scene because he's, you know, been elected as this general and he doesn't even act like a general. I forgot that he gets elected as general. And, and I thought that (sighs) that would have been a great moment if he sort of stepped into that role and sort of took responsibility. But I agree with Ben in this that, you know, during that battle sequence, it's, it's very ridiculous and there's no development there. Um, but, Like I was saying, I think that he still serves an important part of the plot because he is the one that's essentially bringing together these two groups to ultimately liberate Naboo. And that wouldn't have happened without uh, Jar Jar. And so it seems like and I think that's the point of the story in a lot of ways, like one of the themes that George Lucas is trying to deliver on is. Don't just take someone at the at the surface at face value at face value because they might seem like this bumbling idiot and a lot of times they might be but that doesn't necessarily mean doesn't mean that you can't exploit their resources for (laughs) your (laughs) snack.
0: That's fantastic the best point. Oh, my gosh. And I
1: was also going to say, like, okay, well, your your snap judgment on this bumbling idiot Gungan may have been correct. But, hey, it may not be right with this kid Anakin. We don't know. Yeah, exactly.
0: So that's actually the point I was going to lead into, Branson, that my issue with Jar Jar isn't the fact that uh, he's necessarily... A character that's not important to the story because you're right at, if you don't have Jar Jar in the story you don't have that liaisons you don't have this thing obviously there's bad writing and bad character development in that what I will say that I do think the difference between I think the three characters that are most widely criticized uh, in this movie would probably be Jar Jar at number one mm-hmm. Jake Lloyd Anakin Skywalker mm-hmm. and Natalie Portman as Padme mm-hmm. what I will say about the two human characters is while some of the character development around their characters are maybe unsatisfactory to borderline useless slash weird at times those characters still serve a greater overall purpose to not only the story but to the entire saga overall where Jar Jar is a character that to me I believe you could could, really minimize that role Yeah, you could
1: remove him and there would be
0: you could explain it away be, yeah. pretty easily. Without Padme and Anakin, even at times where I don't necessarily de- agree with the decisions or some of the acting might be a little hollow or wooden, you can still see the idea of that character and why those characters do the actions they do. That's the yeah. issue I have with Jar Jar, where okay. he I, really is there just to be comedic value. Yeah, yeah, for, for
2: the most part. I think most of his scenes, I would agree with you, are there for the comedic element. But he does... I still think hold like an important part to the plot to keep it together
1: i think uh i think we can retire jar jar for now because i I feel like we've
2: exhausted jar jar a little bit that's fine i'm not even i'm not even trying to defend him too much i just think he's an integral part to the plot and what george lucas was planning at least
0: so let's just jump (laughs) branson real quick and josh let's just jump to tatooine because we've kind of already covered the first act not for largely most of the first act there's this whole debate or this whole uh, block, uh, trade block going on right now. Blockade, mm. that's the word. That's going on. They have to basically get the princess. The princess. Yeah, she's uh, queen. No, sorry she's the queen. queen. Yes, yeah, she, you have to get the queen out of there. So they bring Padme out, uh, and then they have this person who's actually Padme in disguise. They're, tr- uh, they're
1: trying to get her to Coruscant. Yeah.
0: To, so they stop um, off
1: to, at, to talk to the Senate
0: yeah so they stop off at this planet Tatooine, and that's where we meet anakin skywalker and their,
1: their hyperdrive is malfunctioning yes mm-hmm. so
0: this is the second act of the film largely uh you could really say this is this to the scene where they get to coruscant and the jedi deny anakin being on the council or sorry not on the council wow that's the third <laughs> movie denied anakin the training that's really the second act of the film so to, Beginning yep. of Tatooine to here. So let's just kind of start breaking down that. Josh, I'm gonna let you go here because I know you're gonna defend the pod racing.
2: Yeah, I like the pod racing. I will
1: I'll I'm gonna side with Josh on this one. Pot the pod race is one of my favorite sequences in the movie.
2: Yeah, so so let's let's hold off on the pod race yeah. for right now. So you get you get to Tatooine. <laughs> Basically from here on out, I love this movie. I there's not a besides that part where jar okay, there's two scenes from here on out, that I hate. One of them, number one, is when the kids on Tatooine like make fun of Anakin right before he goes off to do his pod racing. And they're like, "Keep racing, Annie! Can I tell You're you? gonna be bug squashed!" Like, Can I tell you? I like that scene. I hate that scene so much. <laughs> I can't explain it, but that kid is just such a turd. And then, yeah, okay, and the it's other also like this. He he's building his own pod racer. What do you do, like, like, kid? Cool. That's super cool. That's super cool. Like, where did he even get all these parts? Anyway, so
1: he he stole them from his
2: criminal boss. I wouldn't be surprised. But that's the one scene that I don't like. And then the other scene, of course, is where Jar Jar just gives up out of nowhere.
0: What about the scene where Jar Jar steps in poo? Or the scene where Jar Jar... That's fine. uh, It's minimal. Jar Jar, like, grabs food and then, like, the tongue... Oh, I actually
2: enjoy that scene. Okay, so listen. So, the second you get to Tatooine, it's just basically establishing the scene. Everybody's familiar with Tatooine. This is... The first time we're seeing Tatooine since episode four.
0: No, episode six. When did you go to. You see Tatooine? They go uh, to Jabba's yeah, Palace. Like, oh, jo- yeah,
2: Java's Pal- Palace. Yeah, you're right. Okay. But it's been a long time since people have seen Tatooine. Yes. And so you're seeing it again, and it's a different part of Tatooine than what we're familiar with. And very quickly, you are exposed to the fact that, okay, this is like a people that don't have a ton of money it's clear that there's a mix of cultures there between um maybe people that have low income and people that are kind of like uh, stingy i guess like i don't yeah, know it's merchants,
1: just, merchants yeah artisans it, mm-hmm. it's a it's a really neat and yeah like you were saying josh it's a really mm-hmm. neat and diverse planet like you, mm-hmm. you it's a cool location even though it's just like desert yeah it's still visually it, interesting
2: and there's not a ton to talk about here because it is just basically setting up the scenes but um, you know that Padme is going with them and at this time you still aren't aware that she's the queen she's just sort of there as the the maiden to Real the queen angel. um and so then they go to the the junkyard right yeah Watto's junkyard you're introduced to Watto who I think is a fine character you really whatever. you're not supposed to like him yeah. and I thought he the serves p- his
0: purpose and he's fine.
2: I don't know what you guys want me to say here, but I, <laughs> I could just go off about like how I kind of enjoyed a lot of these scenes because it's still Star Wars, but you're not relying on the battles and you know Jedi and everything. Like here, you have Qui Gon and his gang of people that he's brought with him that are basically just trying to blend in and not show that they're royalty and not show that he's a Jedi. You know, he's trying not to use all that. I don't know. I don't really so, have much to say here to be honest with so, you before the Padres. So you could deco-
0: some kind of Jedi waving your head around minute, I don't like that. Bro. So let's just, I'll start off with my positives here. And the positives are that when it comes to world building, nobody does it quite like Lucas. Mm-hmm. And he sets mm-hmm. up the fact that when Qui-Gon Jinn says, this is a land ruled by the huts, mm-hmm. you get this idea of that there is no real law there. It's kind of everyone is there and everyone's scrambling for the resources and right. wealth that can be acquired there yeah. and it's, it's sort corrupt. of it's sort of
1: the space ghetto a little bit yeah yeah it's
0: corrupt and uh it's explo- exploitative and i think that's brilliant setup to put where tatooine is and to make anakin a child of slavery adds a lot to their character especially mm-hmm. especially when it comes to the mother I agree there's actually not a lot that i'm gonna particularly criticize in these scenes I, I do my big issue here and it's not a huge one i've kind of just come to terms with it but it is the age difference between portman and lloyd mm. it just never fully makes sense to me yeah. it, i mean it's supposed to be 9 and 16 and it just kind of comes off Oof. weird in the film Uh, I do I think Jake Lloyd gets a lot of crap for this movie Mm -hmm. and a lot of it I'm not going to say deserved because no nine-year-old deserves that but there are things that the dialogue just doesn't help his character specifically like the lines are you uh, are you an angel all that Uh, but largely this section of the film works for me I do like the interactions that Qui-Gon Jinn has with Anakin. Mm-hmm. I do actually I like the interactions well, how you that you know Anakin I, starts having you know Padme. I didn't kill
1: a Jedi and take his weapon. Yeah, all I that like stuff. All that. It mm-hmm. works for yeah. me.
0: It's again, it goes on too long is my biggest issue with the Tatooine sequence where I think mm. you're just spending too much time, but um, essentially or sorry, when it does come to the fact that Anakin does have to leave his mom at the end of the Podrace and all that That emotional payoff at least has, uh, it is a payoff. Mm -hmm. So at least while this scene I do think goes on too long, Mm -hmm. it does come at the benefit that that scene where he finally departs Mm -hmm. does actually pay off. And that scene is really important because that sets up kind of, essentially Anakin's first step into downfall is him leaving his mother and that decision. That's a good point. So this all works largely for me, even if it goes on too long. So, Branson, unless you want to jump in, otherwise we can just jump into pod racing.
1: Um, yeah, I, let's talk about pod racing real Wait, quick.
0: One, one
2: last point on that,
0: just okay.
1: really
2: quick, because you were talking about uh, how good you know George Lucas is at creating these different worlds. This is insane because this is the third time now we're seeing the same planet. You see it at first, you see uh, Luke's moisture farm and everything that goes along with the the Junkland wastes and everything from Mm -hmm. episode four. Episode six, you see Jabba's palace, right, in the cantina in Mos Eisley. And now here we are um, in 1999, and George Lucas again finds a different way to deliver on the same sandy planet and make it feel different. So that was just another point I wanted to make about how good he is at... Showing, hey, this is the same planet, but this is very different than what you've already seen before.
1: Yeah, that's an excellent point. Within world diversity. Mm-hmm. Mm. All I right. wish that happened more with Coruscant.
0: Yeah. So let's just jump in to pod racing. And yes. I'm just going to get my true sense out of the way. Right. It is a fine enough sequence. It's 12 minutes. It's too long. Cut it down in half. And it is essentially the angle that they shoot is always from left to right, the panel. Uh, so it's always doing this motion, uh, left to right. That's how the camera always moves. It I'll is, in, soon, uh, it is uh, sim- not symbolic, but is very similar to how the Ben-Hur chariot race, which is clearly what Lucas is riffing on in the sequence. That's clearly what he's doing in this uh, particular film. and Or sorry, this particular sequence. Again, it just goes on too long as is my issue. It's not a particularly necessarily exciting scene but you have to give credit to where credit due. it does look fantastic the special effects and all of that the way the pod racer moves the the lights on the back of it all that stuff looks really cool i just it goes on too long for me but i'm not gonna degrade pod racing that much besides the length of the scene in that i think it's a fairly static direction for the large 12 minutes where i think it just feels repetitive by the end Mm. yeah i can i can
1: that's a defensible criticism like that. It's too long. Um, I think there's enough variety in it where it's kind of like, it keeps you engaged sort of like a Mad Max fury road sort of thing where it's like, Oh, you know, Sebulba's trying to, or well that happens last, but like first Anakin's pod kind of dies out. Um, and he has to kind of fix it. Um, and then, you know, Quadranero loses his power couplings uh, and then you, uh, there's like the issue where Anakin's trying to like balance out the thrust or whatever the heck he's doing with the things. And you kind of see him fiddling with buttons and moving little wires and stuff around. And, you know, the Tusken Raiders show up and start shooting at stuff. And mm-hmm. then Sebulba tries to sabotage his pod. So there's there's like so much stuff happening and it kind of, you obviously know that that Anakin's gonna win. I don't think it surprised anyone except little babies. Uh, that Anakin wins, but it's still. I I love watching that sequence. It makes me want to be in a pod racer mm-hmm. uh, with someone else driving. Who knows what they're doing? Because I would definitely crash that thing.
0: All right, go for it, Josh. Just well, I, yes. at the...
2: No, I think Branson just makes an important point that I was gonna call on. That you know, there's so much different stuff going on within the pod race that. It keeps it cool and, like, original the entire time, and I feel engaged every time I watch it to just say, like, wow, like, there's so much different stuff going on here. Like, you know, it's not just a race. There's a couple different points in here that I think are important. One, it starts off by establishing who all the different racers are, which might seem kind of like a dumb point because it's like okay well we don't care about quad or we don't care about this guy or whatever but the but fact that they just
1: power couplings
2: but just the fact that they take the time to individually call out each of those racers at the beginning yeah i like shows that like okay now we're going to give each of these characters a little bit of screen time and show how each of them get eliminated throughout the series uh, throughout the the racing sequence they all and die yeah, basically. Yeah, and so it's kind of like, okay, well, that keeps me a little bit more engaged. So I'm not just like, okay, this is another alien creature that's now gotten blown up by Sebulba or whatever. It's actually a character that they've taken a moment to establish just a little bit of character development with, even if it's just, like, the most minor thing. But one of the things that I really like is, like, for example, I think it is Quadranero. They say at, when they're announcing it, I think it's really clever they use the announcers to... to you know, give a little bit of this dialogue about each of these characters. They say, like, Quadranero and his record pit droid team or whatever, Mm. and they have little things like that for each of them. So it's like, here's a reason why they've qualified to be in this large uh, race that I think is really important to the people in Tatooine, or at least in this area. And they've all clearly done something to deserve that place in the tournament. So it's really really cool little detail. It's interesting. Yeah. So if you go back and watch it, you'll see that each of them have something like one of them has a record pod that's like faster than the others. The other one has the record pit team and like all these different things. So It's really interesting. Um, and then, of course, you know, George Lucas just coming out of left field with, like, the Tusken Raiders just camped out up on the top, just sniping at them, which I think is awesome.
0: It's and, a good scene. I mm, like the Tusken Raiders. And
2: then, you know, I, I just happen to like, the of course, the visuals, which I think still hold up today I with, agree. with the pod mm-hmm. racing. I mean, yeah. this is technology that's completely revolutionary for the time, and they just hit it out of the park with the audio, the visuals. And to be honest with you, I think the fact that it's 12 minutes is... Perfect because, in my opinion, that's how long the race actually took. Like, if I was sitting there in the audience, that whole race probably took 12 minutes. Like, it felt like you're watching it start to finish, and they're yeah. not cutting cutting it down too much, which I actually that's thought, thought mm-hmm. immersed me more in the race. It's still, yeah, like I said, point. my
0: big issue is it goes on too long, but I understand your point. And ultimately, again, out of some of the issues that I have with this film, while I do nitpick this for being... Maybe repetitive, overly long. You nitpick Maybe because Staley. You Yeah, mm. Staley, I think, directed in my opinion. It ultimately is not the scene in this movie where I say this film fundamentally doesn't mm. understand uh, what's going on or its characters or mm. that. Some of that comes a little later, which we'll kind of talk as we wrap up to, into this. But I'll just move from pod racing now. Wait, one last thing yeah, I, so I want to for... make on
2: the pod racing point. I think it's really important to also mention here, just really quickly, that... This is really the first scene that George Lucas has done in Star Wars. That's not inherently a a battle or like a war. Like it's just sort of like this game that's on the side that doesn't have lightsabers. doesn't really have guns besides the Tusken Raiders that are just camped out. And he's really taking this gamble to say, okay, I know this is going to look awesome. And I know I can do this really well and I'm going to invest 12 minutes of screen time and a heavy amount of my budget into this race with this kid and a bunch of aliens. And I know I'm going to do it well. And I think he delivered on that gamble really well.
0: Yeah, I'll give you that. Mm -hmm. And so from that scene on, Anakin is freed because Qui-Gon places the bet. He then has to leave his mother. I already talked about the scene enough. Earlier, I just think this is actually one of the better scenes in the film. I think it's he, a sweet he, moment.
1: He wins enough uh, prize money to get a new hyperdrive for the ship, um, mm. and before he leaves, or before the whole crew leaves, um, I think the coolest character in the whole movie shows up.
2: Yeah. Oh Maul. yes, yes, that's yes. such a great scene too. Oh,
1: it's, yes, it's the perfect like carrot dangling in front of the viewer. Because you see Darth Maul, and you're like, okay, who is this guy? You've already Mm -hmm. seen, like, a snippet of him on Mm -hmm. Coruscant.
0: Yeah, he's just walking with the Mm -hmm. Chancellor. Or, at this time, the Emperor, as we know him. Mm -hmm.
1: And, um, like, you see, he only uses one blade of his lightsaber. Mm -hmm. So you don't know that he even has the capability of, like, wielding a dual lightsaber. Mm -hmm. So it, like... You're kind of wondering, all right, who is this guy? And, like, is he going to show up again? And then he does. And And we'll talk about that scene.
0: And
2: what a difference in the introduction to this Sith Lord compared to the other two Sith Lords we're familiar with at this point. We know Sidious is slow, but he's maniacal. And he has these abilities to just kind of, like, make you writhe in pain from his fingertips. But he's not really moving anywhere anytime soon. And the same thing with Vader. He's slow, but he's big and menacing. And you know he's just going to strike you down. Like He's, he's got the strength. But mm-hmm. what's interesting is you find out right away from that sequence that Darth Maul is completely on the other side of the spectrum. Super yeah. agile. You're seeing a completely different style of lightsaber fighting than anybody's ever seen before. And it's mm-hmm. completely out of left field. Nobody okay. really knew that that scene was coming. I mean, And it's kinda. mixed
0: with such a great scene of... Uh, Qui-Gon Jinn's dialogue where he's like and it down and mm-hmm. they just like they clash real quick and you see Qui-Gon just panicked mm-hmm. because he's unsure he's never seen anything like this but and there's he doesn't ruthless... really know
1: how to react he's been totally like thrown yes. off mm-hmm. this
0: is his first like probably real introduction to a Sith now again mm-hmm. Sith are probably still to some degree around in the backstory but we don't know the exact time a real Sith has been seen yeah And so it's a great introduction to this character. I agree. Darth Maul works perfectly in this scene. And God, if he works perfectly in this scene, the end sequence with him is just fantastic. Uh,
1: That's the crowning jewel moment of this movie, the Darth Maul sequence. Yeah, I actually
2: happen to think that that moment right there at the end of Tatooine is probably in like my top couple of moments in the whole movie. Just because of like the timing, the introductions to the characters, what it's revealing in that short time. I just really like that scene right there. It's visual
0: mm-hmm. storytelling at its best. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. And so now we move on. We're on Coruscant. The Jedi, uh, specifically led by Windu and Yoda. Mm-hmm. They say he is not the chosen one or he is too old. Qui-Gon is fighting to get him on. Obi-Wan... Uh, is kind of disagreeing with his master. Qui Gon says uh, Obi Wan might be headstrong, but he is ready to now become a uh, Jedi, uh, and no longer be an apprentice. He'll take on, uh, sorry, Qui Gon will take on Anakin. This kind of leads into this whole sequence where you're getting this kind of back and forth with Ana- regarding the faith of fate, sorry, the fate of Anakin. Plus, you're starting to get some of the background details on what exactly this Trade Federation blockade is, what the effects of this are. Uh, what they have to do this is the political mumbo jumbo uh, in the prequels the that senate talks It it is fundamental to the story and is important just it is Boring. simply at sometimes exposition just to be exposition not to be exposition but it is exposition because you need it mm-hmm. but there's no other really way to deliver it so it is a lot of just standing and talking walking and talking and just very stagnant for about 20 minutes where the dialogue is quite important but it is sometimes hard to keep you engaged hmm.
2: i disagree i well is it really 20 minutes that it's yeah it's about 20 out? minutes oh my god i don't know i feel like it doesn't really feel like 20 minutes when you're watching it especially coming off the high of like seeing the Padres and then you see that scene we just talked about with darth maul and everything you're very engaged and curious of like what's going to be happening next um I agree that this might be the slowest part of the story. But, yeah, like you said, Ben, it is, like, very essential dialogue. And there's not a lot that you can do to kind of, like, make it any different. Um, That being said, like, a lot of these environments are new in this movie. Like, you haven't really seen the Senate before. You've never seen the Jedi Council before. And so for a lot of those reasons, I think it's a little bit more engaging than seeing it as a second-time or a third-time viewer. Or maybe those might be scenes that aren't as important to go and rewatch because they're not as cool. But as like a first-time viewer, you're not necessarily familiar with who Mace Windu is or who um, a lot of these characters are. And, um, and so I think it's not as boring in that first viewing as it might be later when you already know what's going to happen or what's going
0: on. Yeah, there. I mean, this is mm-hmm. the sequence that if you're watching The Phantom Menace now, you mm-hmm. probably largely fast-forward to it, Sure, I feel like. Yeah. If you know that scene and what that dialogue is Mm -hmm. and what's going on in the story, you can largely skip this Mm -hmm. because it's largely unimportant. But let's just get into the part of the film that we can all agree has some of the highest highs and maybe some of the lowest lows in this film, and that's the third act finale. And, Josh, I'll just let you kick this off with the third act
2: finale. Well, so this third act starts with uh, the queen, and her posse and everybody kind of going back to Naboo to attempt this liberation effort. Um, We know that there's a lot of um, people in the uh, Naboo like government, I guess, Mm. that are uh, being, that have been captured and are now like kind of hostages to the droid army. And we also know that another part of their effort is to take um, a, a lot of these fighters up to okay, um, a, a lot of these fighters that they have remaining up to the uh, Federation ship and destroy that to take out the droid army as well. So, um, I mean, pfft, so much here that I love. Um, I this just,
1: is this is one of those like parts in the mood. Sorry to cut you no, off. No, go Josh. for it. Um, this is one of those things that I I really like about Star Wars, and I like a lot in action movies, like we see it in Avengers and and stuff like that um, it happens in Harry Potter like you know any any sort of action scene that you can think of I love the multifaceted action mm-hmm. where there's mm-hmm. there's cut between you know a battle going on in space which is kind of the least interesting space battle in Star Wars I'm just going to go ahead and, and yep, play my cards the Naboo like the Naboo space battle is pretty lame as far as space battles go mm-hmm. um and then you have the the battle on the ground it, on Naboo between the Gungans and the droid army. Mm-hmm. And then you have the battle going on where um, the Naboo palace guards are trying to kind of hold out in the hangar. And then Darth Maul shows up. shows up. He shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like this... You kind of have to balance all these things in your mind and mm-hmm. kind of like okay, what's going to happen next? Like, how is how is this part going to get resolved? How is this part going to get resolved? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, kind of how they work together is is pretty interesting. Like, yeah, the yeah. result of the space battle kind of determines the result of the battle on the ground. A little mm-hmm. bit of a cop-out, but it's acceptable. Yeah. It makes sense. Droids are con- con- controlled by a computer. And mm-hmm. if that computer is destroyed...
0: Yeah. yeah. All right, so let's just go into this real quick because we have about 10 minutes left before we have to wrap it up. Plus, we still have to do the great debate. So let's just each kind of give our final points on this third act scene. I'll just go first. I'll say that, of course, Duel of the Fates, which is the battle of the lightsaber. Mm -hmm. We can't talk enough about it. It's just Mm -hmm. a perfect scene in every way. One of my favorite moments in Star Wars is simply the Qui Gon Jinn taking the pause in mid battle Mm -hmm. and meditating Mm -hmm. and then coming Mm -hmm. out of it. It's a great character beat. It establishes that character. His death is fantastic. The fight, Obi Wan's reaction, Mm -hmm. just the action in it alone is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Darth Uh, Maul's
1: facial expressions, everything about it, terrifying.
0: is perfect. It's a perfect sequence. Uh, and we already talked about the Gungan thing, so I'll leave it alone with the Jar Jar complaints <laughs> that I already had. And then finally, they, my it's, issue. It's like
1: two, it's a whole bunch of Lego sets battling in the Windows XP background. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and finally, my last point that I want to bring up about this scene, particularly, is one of the issues that I have with this film, and it's such a little detail, but it just kind of shows me the lack of understanding at times that. Uh, is placed in the story and writing. Anakin Skywalker puts on a helmet that fits him, and he's a child who is nine years old, and he's in a, an adult uh, Starfighter. It's just that lack of Continuity detail. Continuity
1: was just, off for the day.
0: Yeah, it's just that lack of gone. detail where how much better is that moment, and I've heard this from a reviewer who I don't remember what they uh, who it was, but how much better is that sequence if now he has this giant oversized helmet that he's wearing and he's kind of bobbing around. It now has this kind of more adventure feel to it, almost like the young Indiana Jones has yeah. to it. Just, no, it, I was
1: just about to start humming yeah. the Indiana Jones yeah, theme song. Yeah, it has
0: this character be. That's my final thing. Uh, everyone each go like a minute each, and then we'll get into the great debate. Yeah.
1: Um, okay. I'll, I'll go. Um, yeah, I, Duel of the Fates is probably one of the coolest, if not... Actually, you know what? I'm putting my foot down. This is another hill to die on. Duel of the Fates is the coolest piece of Star Wars music. Um, I'd say a close second is the Mandalorian theme. Uh, but Duel of the Fates is just this amazing... You have the, the chorus coming on, and the music perfectly paces out the fight. Um, there's the choral swell as it's revealed that Darth Maul has a dual lightsaber, which is just awesome. And then there's the slow... <laughs> and then it uh, it's just beautiful how that scene unfolds, and you see all these... Amazing sights with Naboo's. I'm assuming like the reactor room or something, mm-hmm. um, which is which is just a neat location. And yeah, the ray shields, um, Qui Gon's meditation. It's it's such an awesome sequence. Um, and then you know after Qui Gon's death, the really mysterious talk between Yoda and Darth, uh, and Mace Windu about. Um, there are always two Siths, the the master and the apprentice. Mm-hmm. But which one was killed, the master or the apprentice? Mm-hmm. It it perfectly sets up the introduction to expanded. What is Sith. the rest of the prequels? Yeah, what are who are the rest of the Sith? Who what are the prequels? Where are they gonna go? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, that last sequence is really what keeps this movie afloat for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that and then uh, the
2: pod race can't I can't help but love it. all right josh um i agree with all of your guys's points to just echo like all of those points that you guys made are good points um i had never thought about anakin's helmet being the the fitting him (laughs) correctly i guess that is sort of like a point that you could make to you're now 94 6 yeah i know um so i don't know uh just to kind of add on that i think uh, I agree. Also, that Duel of the Fates is my favorite soundtrack from Star Wars. Um, they just nail it there. The other thing is, I think like the costume designs are perfect as well. Ooh. Like just everybody in this movie are dressed amazing. Like they mm. all look their parts. You can make the argument that the Naboo guards look like Naboo guards. You have uh, Darth Maul. Who not, nothing needs to be said there. Yeah, he's perfect. Yeah. Um, all yeah. of that is just awesome. Um, I think the choreography in that scene between uh, Qui Gon, more particularly Ewan McGregor and um, Ray for uh, Ray Park, right? Yeah. For that last scene with Obi Wan versus Maul might mm. be the best choreography in any Star Wars fight. I'd agree. Mm. Um, just the, the speed of that fight, and you can really feel Obi Wan's anger in that moment, it is such a special scene. Um, and there's really nothing else I need to say about it. I think we've touched on all the points.
0: All right. And with that, we're wrapping this up kind of quickly, but we're just going to go into the great debate. Branson, right, this is I our
2: first to... three-way great debate.
0: Yes. I. How do we want to do this? Because I know we're kind of on a time limit. Do we um, each want to yeah, go? Yeah, I
1: guess, I guess we'll just kind of do round robin. Um, okay. Josh, since you're our guest, you can go first, and then we can each kind of have yeah. 30 seconds to answer. Yeah, if that, okay. 30 seconds.
0: Yeah, no, my great then... debate
2: question isn't great, but it is a debate um who do you guys think gives the best acting performance in the movie
0: okay i can go really easily Ooh, and it's a it. uh, ray parkin as darth maul it's a, it's a simple performance because it is all reliant on facial expressions but it is also in the same time a complex performance because it all relies on facial expressions he doesn't have to he doesn't have to worry about the dialogue that is a big issue in the prequels he just has to worry on stunt choreography and looks and let's be honest if that's the only Thing of a character that has to work, uh, work, he does it perfectly. He nails the mannerisms. He is intimidating. He's a threat. Uh, that fight sequence at the end—it is just perfect in every way. And that is an intimidating presence. That he has to be that intimidating presence he has to kind of be like the terminator in the terminator films where you yeah. just know he is there and he's going to destroy so it's ray okay, park
1: it's her. it's it's pretty funny he's like he has um not a lot of screen time but he's like the best performance so in a way he's kind of like chris r <laughs> shout out to our boy dan um okay i for the sake of uh being different and providing a different perspective i really love liam neeson yeah. um and I think he does a really great job as Qui Gon. He's—you can tell that he's a loving master. He—he um, he understands his pupil. He—he uh, he sees, you know, Obi Wan's, you know, youthful energy, and he sees the potential mm-hmm. in Anakin. Um, and he—he he trusts Obi Wan to do a good job. And you—it's evident in just his really soft voice. Um, but you can tell, yeah, he's pensive, he's wise, but he's also capable. Um, he, he, you can tell that he's a tactful fighter. He, mm-hmm. he's not just about brute forcing. And I really love um, when, when warriors are, um, can calculate, and aren't just about the brunt.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, we got uh, yeah. two more questions. Branson, we'll hit it, and we'll just go speed round quick.
1: Okay. Uh, if any adult actor were to replace young Anakin, who would be the funniest adult actor per- to portray him? Oh, and funniest? everyone treats him like a, ch- a child still, but it's an adult actor.
0: Adam Sandler. He's do- <laughs> At that time, he's doing the characters like Billy Madison, Yeah. Uh, like Mr. Deeds. Uh, like the uh, the the water boy, he uh, could bring that childish energy that is needed for the character. He could add comedic value of which the film is lacking. He would at least be able to go toe to toe with Jar Jar. And it's not a great answer, but the answer is Anakin Skywalker. Can you imagine? Are you an angel? <laughs> 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 oh my God. <commercials> so do you know
2: okay so my my answer for this i don't know his name the actor's name but he's the he he was the kid in the fifth element but he grew up and became that fat guy yeah haley joe yeah the guy who he's in uh he's in the sixth sense he's in the boys yeah and And he can touch people and hear their thoughts i think he would be a pretty good (laughs) anakin (laughs) young anakin i don't know he just seems like okay i like it I don't know. Yes. I didn't really have a reason He's why. a good actor. At that <laughs> yeah.
0: time, he's a very accomplished child actor. He might I, be kind of funny. I got my de- great great debate question, and you guys are going to just have to think about this real quick. Who is the main character in The Phantom Menace?
1: Watto. Watto?
0: <laughs> Go for it. Why?
1: I, he's not. Um, main character. Oh, wow.
0: Because this was Obi-Wan. one of my... Yeah, I would say this Obi-Wan.
1: Was... He changes the most. He loses his master and has
2: to adapt to now being the master okay my answer is a little questionable i actually think it's palpatine because this is the movie where he makes his biggest mistake he underestimates what uh padme is going to be doing he doesn't think she's going to go back to naboo and save her people he probably originally had it lined up to be to have maul as his original apprentice to help overthrow the jedi eventually and he now he has to wait what is it 15 years About before death. before his next plan unfolds so he is hmm. severely crippled by just this this small decisions by palpatine i mean by padme here and you also get this great performance from him uh just showing like how he is like super nice and also kind of terrible
0: okay so with <laughs> that we have to get going because branson sorry i'm home. i'm in a uh, i'm being with summoned. that he's got with that uh all right, thank you, Josh, for coming on. And next yes. week, we are teasing another George Lucas uh, thing that is not Star Wars. And I'll just give you a clue. Quack, quack. And with that, uh, thank you all. It's a long episode. Branson, I know you got to go. So take care. <laughs> Josh, thank you for uh, joining us. And take May care. May the fourth See you be all. with you. May the fourth be with you all. Take care. <laughs> See ya. All
1: right. Nice job, boys.